cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Matt Melander from Livia. Matt, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, boys. Nice to meet you both. Love it. So I guess before you kind of got into cannabis with your background, was there any hesitation to kind of move into the cannabis space? For me personally, no. Um, always weed was around. People were smoking cannabis since the time I was in high school. So I wasn't really like new to it. I wasn't something I was a huge participant in. Doesn't mean I, I wasn't pretty well versed in it. It wasn't like, it wasn't like now where I called myself a daily communicant. It's back then it was kind of like, all right, it's Sunday and I don't really want to have trouble sleeping tonight. So maybe I'll just smoke a bowl and go to bed. But um, no, it wasn't so much the industry that, that concerned me more than uh, working for a, a, bulge bracket investment bank, their compliance and regulatory rules, which are still the same today, given the banking law, they were definitely, when they found out what I was doing, it was, um, let's just say that was the last day I was there. Take us through those early days, you know, getting started. What was it like? What was the experience like? And and what was your day-to-day like? Yeah, absolutely. So those very first days, as I said, it was kind of February of 18. I found out about this, started kicking the tires a little bit, looking at the models, saying, hey, you know what, doing my own research. Um, by June, it was really more, all right, is this, does this have legs? And if so, what is it, what's going to take? And actually the first investor myself. So I, uh, I put my money where my mouth was said, I've always wanted to be involved with something from the beginning, cut a substantive check of my percentage of my personal net worth. And instead of said a couple of Hail Marys and said, let's go at those early days, it was, it was two parts. It was, it was trying to raise capital in a, in an industry that has no banking access to like credit or anything. So, um, that's obviously a challenge. Then the other part, which I actually still believe to be the hardest part of the industry is where do you find zoned real estate to be able to operate a business? It's finding a needle in a stack of needles. I love it. And I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sure the capital raise has got to be extremely challenging and then finding a location, extremely challenging. You you talk about how those are the two hardest parts, but once you get the location, it's time to hit the ground running. And then I guess there's got to be some thought process. Is is anyone going to buy this product? (laughs) Well, you never know that one until day one when you hit the market. So it was very iterative. By saying R&D in those early days, we were learning about what everyone else was doing. We kept focus on those three pillars of co-packing with oil-based products, just as, as one revenue source. And then this idea of our own brand. And then the, the third wheel would have been like co-packing other beverage companies that were out on the Western part of the state. I mean, those early days, we got introduced to the folks from Keep Cola. We got introduced to the folks from Hi-Fi Hops, which is Lagunitas. I mean, those were the OG, if you will, of the space. Um, I still remember one meeting with one of those groups where they told me, stop now, you're never going to succeed. So, so when the products go to the dispensaries, I guess early on in the development phase, how did you know it was going to be successful? Obviously you want to see those numbers move, but there's got to be some traction that takes place in some of the marketing challenges and a new product to the space. When did you get the feeling that you were on the right track and how, how quickly after? I don't know, even if I believe that yet today, our delays were also in some ways our benefit. We when I got involved in the market in, in summer of 2019, 
and we didn't hit market till February of 2021. Um, with that said, we, we were out there talking with dispensary partners as new ones came online, we were getting our names out there. So by the time we made it officially to market, we had our first two turns of our beverage seller pre-sold. So we knew we had 35 homes as soon as we hit the market. A couple of weeks after that, we crossed 50. Uh, pretty soon after that, it was 100. I think we're in 152 as we sit here today, 13 months later. Sometimes you got to just be comfortable taking a flyer. This whole industry is a flyer. Nobody has a case study. There is no best practice. It's trust your intuition, trust your heart, trust yourself. No one's going to do it for you. And then go get to work. A lot of people are going to see this podcast episode and realize your team's incredible success in a very, very short amount of time. Can you share a story, a fact, or another concept that would shock someone about the journey and the process that your team undertook? We went to market. We had $38,000 left in the bank and I was in a lockdown hospital ward. My wife had just had twins. Uh, so don't give up on yourself ever. I think that's probably the truth is I called my business partner from Brigham Women's in Boston. And I said, Hey, have we heard from the state yet? The answer at that moment was no. I was like, well, uh, we better because we're going to run out of money next week. So again, it, it all comes down to the entrepreneurial journey is very much you have to believe in yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. Once we hit market, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, you're not supposed to tell me a, a, a hard good story where you, you launch and you sell in 364 days. It doesn't happen when you go from zero to number one in the category in the country in a matter of six months. So like, I think we're currently number two. It's, you know, like that, that sort of truth is, is very much the holy moly. I always joke, there's no case study for this industry. Well, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to write this case study for business school at some point, because it doesn't add up to what you're normally taught. So let's talk about the successful exit to air wellness. When did they reach out? How did that conversation start? I can't imagine they were like, Hey Matt, we're looking to partner up, you know, take us through, you know, that early reach out conversation, then how long the process takes to, let's say, finalize an actual deal. Yeah. Thankfully, that's what I used to do in my past life. So I was at least conversationally competent in what to expect. As I said, we hit market February 16th. I started fielding buyout offers by April 1st. Wow. Whoa. And again, when you have newborn twins at home, you're in a startup, you're running on fumes and running on empty. And I probably, frankly, my synapses weren't connecting. So I was a lot more open with sharing than I, I otherwise would have been. But we had five public MSOs reach out and that's called that six to 10 week of our life cycle period. And you start having all those conversations. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been your biggest misconception? The lazy stoner mindset that we were all taught in elementary school is not real. Some of the most successful decorated business people I've ever had the privilege of knowing they use cannabis on a daily basis. I mean, we're talking fortune 50 CEOs running global conglomerates who literally we've gotten introduced to have been like, Oh yeah, no, I, I actually prefer this, but it's been so stigmatized forever. It's like, that's, that's the part that needs to go. We got We all collectively as an industry need to break the stigma and, and let the truth come out. If you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? Believe in yourself. Take the jump. You're never going to know if you can do it until you try. And you'll be amazed at how much more you can accomplish than if you're just willing to take the risk. And if you fail, you learned. Absolutely. 
All right, prediction time. Matt, do you think the beverage category will overtake the flower market? And if so, what year? I want to say yes, naturally. I think it's a tremendous lift from where we are. We're roughly like 2% of universal sales. Look, I, that question, can I reframe the question to you? When does federal sure. deregulation happen? Because it's my story that a cannabis beverage should be on every draft line in America. Same way that what used to be all, all beers now have hard seltzer options. At that point, do I believe that we can overtake the flower segment? Yes. So what, what year will that be? Yeah. 2030. So Matt, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more about your brand. Where can they find you? Uh, yep. Best way to find the Levia products is, is the Levia website, which is uh, www.levia.buzz, B-U-Z-Z. Um, there is a store locator feature built in there where you dump in your zip code and, and boom, there's there's the closest retailer. Uh, on all social feeds, it's Levia Brands. Uh, and then also um, just the Air Wellness Corporate website. So airwellness.com. We'll link them all up in the show notes. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.